0: I'd like to invite you this afternoon to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, I want to start reading this morning. At the very end of verse 18. Philippians chapter 1, please. That's what the Apostle Paul says to the to the church in Philippi. Yes, and I will. so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ. You should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful this afternoon to have your word lord we're thankful to have it in its entirety we're thankful to be together today we're thankful for the desire to want to be together today lord the desire to know you the desire all to be conformed more and more to the likeness of your son jesus christ lord we ask for your help this afternoon to that end Lord, to the end of striving together, striving side by side in the life of this church for the faith of the Gospel. Sanctify us this afternoon by Your truth. Father, we ask You through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to start out sharing one of the more uh, sobering things in life. There's a number of them that one of them is to read through the obituaries in newspapers. I don't know if you have a practice or maybe a habit of reading through the obituaries in newspapers. You know what an obituary is, right? Right, after somebody dies, uh, there's something written about them. And they're often sobering, just like walking through a cemetery, uh, because it's this... It's this um, remembrance that death is impartial to men isn't it it's impartial to what to 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 infants to those who are 80 years old Uh, it is indiscriminate when it comes to gender death is indiscriminate when it comes to nationality but obituaries are often sobering because they're some of the last words that we read about someone's life aren't they Sometimes written by a family member, sometimes they're more general. But we get this idea after all has been said and done in the life of a person, seventy years, maybe eighty if there's strength. Maybe thirteen years old. But but when everything's said and done, you know, life is summarized in, in essentially a paragraph in a obscure place in a newspaper, right? It's sobering to see how people in this life And many times we get an idea if a person glorified Jesus Christ in their life or not. If if a person glorified Jesus Christ in his or her death. And I came across an example of this. A man uh, from Galveston, Texas. Leslie Ray Charping of Galveston, Texas. His daughter wrote his obituary. And I'm going to read it to you. Leslie Ray... Popeye Charping was born in Galveston on November 20th, 1942, and passed away January 30th, 2017, which was 29 years longer than expected and much longer than he deserved. Let me see where this is going. At a young age, Leslie quickly became a model example of bad parenting, combined with mental illness and a complete commitment to drinking, drugs, womanizing, and being generally offensive. Leslie enlisted to serve in the Navy, but not so much in a brave and patriotic way, but more as a part of a plea deal to escape sentencing on criminal charges. Leslie's hobbies included being abusive to his family, expediting trips to heaven for the beloved family pets, and fishing, which he was less skilled with than the previously mentioned. Leslie's life served no other obvious purpose. It's amazing. He did not contribute to society or serve his community, and he possessed no redeeming qualities besides quick-witted sarcasm, which was amusing during his sober days. With Leslie's passing, he will be missed only for what he never did, being a loving husband, father, and good friend. Leslie's passing proves that evil does in fact die and hopefully marks a time of healing and safety for all. From his daughter's point of view, uh, he, he, he was not missed and, and will not be missed, her father. And with the same words, after reading this obituary, in light of what we have in Scripture, we see that this man did not live a life that magnified the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't live a life that glorified Jesus Christ, neither in his living nor in his dying. In this afternoon as we we think about the book of Philippians together I want us to consider not the life of Leslie Ray Charping but I want to think about the life of somebody who by nature was no better than Leslie Ray Charping Uh, he was a man himself who was violent and hostile against the Lord Jesus Christ and against his people and yet he was a man incredibly who could write some of these words that we just read together from Philippians chapter 1. He could write confidently these words in Philippians 1.20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So this afternoon, I want us to think together about a life that glorifies or a life that magnifies Jesus Christ. We saw the language right here in Philippians 1. But not only in life, Paul goes on and he says, he talks about a death, doesn't he? Christ will be exalted, whether in his living or in his dying. That's what I want us to think about together this afternoon. The resurrected Christ being glorified in Paul's body, and the resurrected Christ being glorified in our own bodies. And I just want to ask you this afternoon, I mean, can you repeat the same words as Paul this afternoon as we're continuing? With any sort of sincerity, with any sort of honesty in your life this afternoon, Christ is being glorified in my body. And I want Him to be more glorified in my body, both in my living and in my dying. Can you say that this afternoon? But can you say it legitimately? And what do I mean by that? I mean, any person can say these words, right? From the drunk to the womanizer to the gang. I mean, whoever, any person can say these words, but to legitimately with the Bible testifying, this is a reality to his or her life. Christ being exalted in our lives, whether by, in our bodies, I'm sorry, whether by life or by death. And so for this to be true, this reality, Christ being exalted in our bodies, grounded in the truth of the Bible, what is needed for our lives, right? I mean, what does a life look like this? Somebody who's glorifying Jesus Christ with their body, what does a life like that look like? That's what I want to think about together. I want us to see together here from Philippians chapter 1. It sounds nice. What does it look like practically? A life that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. And to answer this this question, thinking about this, what does a life like this look like? We need to have certainty about two things in our own lives this afternoon. Certainty about two things in our own lives. If you and I are gonna be able to legitimately follow the Apostle Paul in his words here, his confident words, Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death, you and I need to have certainty about two things. The two things are these. Firstly, what our lives are. And secondly, what our death is. For this to be a reality, Christ exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. And so before we, we really look beginning at verse 21, I want us to just get an idea of where we are in the book of Philippians. Some of you are more familiar with it than others. Paul's writing the letter from prison. We see that in chapter 1. And he's writing, and he's essentially thanking the Philippians for their participation with him in the gospel, their fellowship with him in the gospel. We see the letter both begins and ends that way. He mentions their, their participation in the gospel from the first day until now, chapter 1. And he ends by thanking them for their revived concern for him. They've sent Epaphroditus with a gift. Paul thanks him for that. And it seems that Paul has sent Epaphroditus back with this letter that we call Philippians in his hand. We see from the very beginning in the introduction after stating who he is and who he's writing to, uh, his praying for the Philippians, we see that he is, he's thanking God in his prayers continually for their participation in the Gospel. That's 1, 5, and 6. This good work that God has begun in them, he's confident that God is going to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And it's shortly after this, Paul says he's in prison, but he's probably the happiest man in prison, right? In Rome. Why? Because Christ is still being proclaimed. There's two different groups with two different motives, but Paul is rejoicing that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And so he comes to verse 20, and he says these words of great confidence that Christ will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. And the real burden of Paul in this letter, as far as I understand it, is that the gospel would progress in the world through the Philippians. The Philippians with the very attitude of Jesus Christ, striving side by side in the context of the church, the gospel progressing, the gospel advancing, and themselves advancing or progressing in the faith. Maybe we could summarize it in Paul's words in in verse 27 of chapter 1. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so what is a life? Worthy? What does a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling of Jesus Christ, look like practically? What does a life that glorifies Jesus Christ look like? And as I mentioned, I think we need certainty about two things this afternoon. What our life is and what our death is. And so Paul continues right after verse 20 with this very well-known verse. what's, what's one Philippians 1.21 say? Right, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Right? It's, it's a very well-known verse but in my experience, the context is less well-known. So let's, let's pick up Paul's words here thinking about these two realities, what our life is and what our death is. And Paul continues with these words in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Literally, to me for Christ to live. To live Christ, to die gain, right? There's no is provided. And so Paul is just saying from, from his perspective, My life, this is how I count it. To live Christ and to die gain. And what's interesting is we see immediately a connection between verses 20 and 21. And we're going to see this all throughout this passage. We see the connection through two words that Paul uses throughout the passage, life and death. Right? He said that in verse 20. Christ to be glorified in his life or in his death. And then he says in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So we see it's the same flow in these verses from 20 to 21. Life to live, death to die. But secondly, we see these two verses are connected with this little, a little word for, this little conjunction that connects two, two phrases or two sentences together. That's how verse 21 begins. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so if if Jesus Christ is going to be magnified in our bodies, whether by our living, by our dying, both you and I must understand what Paul means in these verses. Verse 21 is a support for what he just said in verse 20. Christ to be exalted for. This is why. This is the reason. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We, like Paul, need to have our certainty about both our living and our dying. In our time together, we're really going to focus on this living. And we're going to look briefly. Joshua mentioned, he quoted it at least in his message. Um, But we're not going to focus so much on dying. We're going to focus more on what does a life lived that glorifies Jesus Christ look like? So, what does Paul mean here? To live Christ and to die gain. Well, like any other passage of the Bible, we've got to let the context help define our terms, right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. And if we, we step back and we looked at the book of Philippians as a whole, we could define it various ways. To live as Christ means Christ is the very source, Christ is the giver of both the faith to believe and of suffering in the Christian life. One twenty nine. We say Christ is the source or the origin of fruit in the Christian life. That's chapter one, verse eleven. To live as Christ is to view all things as loss in comparison to gaining Christ. Paul talks that way in chapter three, right? So, viewing life rightly and viewing Jesus Christ rightly. To live as Christ is to recognize that the righteousness acceptable to God that the Christian has is a righteousness that has been received through faith in this Christ. Chapter 3, verse 9. One pastor, he's not even a pastor, one, one preacher summarized it like this. To live as Christ means that Christ was Paul's passion, his pursuit, his power, his pleasure, and his pattern. I think all of those can be supported throughout the book of Philippians. But if you'll notice, in in defining to live as Christ, I didn't didn't limit myself to the immediate context, did I? Right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. I went out a little bit. 111, 129, 39. To live as Christ, we want to think about it from the immediate context of verse 21. So go back with me to verse 21 of chapter 1 in Philippians. We want to define to live as Christ from... The context. My present understanding is to live as Christ means to live in this life for the progress, for the advancement in joy and the faith of other believers. I hope to, to show you how I came to that conclusion from the passage. To live in such a way, in other words, that we're considering the interests of others in the life of this church and living in such a way that it results in their, their progress, their advancement, and their joy in the faith. So look at how Paul continues right here. We've seen it, right? Life, death, for to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Now look how Paul continues, verses 22 through 26. And this is all in the context of. Christ being exalted in our bodies, whether by life or by death, Paul continues with this contrast between life and death throughout these verses. And so verse 22, Paul continues this way, and he talks about living again. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. So instead of saying to live or life, Paul says to live in the flesh. It's just another way to say the same thing to remain in this body, to remain on this earth. And eventually, as we see, is Paul's confidence uh, confidently saying that he's going to return to the Philippians in verse 26 of chapter 1. So he says living in this flesh will mean work that is prosperous or fruitful labor here in verse 22. His continued ministry, sharing the gospel, eventually being able to visit the Philippians and that visit and his ministry among them will result in Jesus Christ being praised. That's how Paul talks a little bit later on. And so we see life again in verse twenty two, but we we keep going. Verse twenty three, Paul makes the contrast again and he mentions death. Verse twenty three. If I I'm sorry, he says I'm hard pressed between the two. What are the two? Life and death, right? So we get some honest words from from the apostle here. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. And so here in verse 23, rather than saying die or death, he describes death as a departure, doesn't he? Departing and being with Christ. This is what death is for the Christian. Joshua was getting on this at the 10 o'clock hour. This is, this is a Christian affirmation. This is not a non-Christian affirmation. This should not be a favorite verse if you're not a Christian this morning for you. To depart and to be with Christ, Paul says. And so in some way, to not remain in the flesh, for this thing to not continue to beat within the ribcage, to not continue with the Philippians, it's to depart. It's to not physically be with them. And it is to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice in verse 24, Paul returns and he talks about living again. So he's just going back and forth in these verses. It's set up in verse 20, verse 21 again, and then he's just coming back and forth between 22, 23, back to 24, where Paul returns... To talk about living but in these words but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account and so for Paul to live to live in the flesh it's to remain in the flesh is what we see here in verse 24 and again from the context Paul being released from prison is what he has in mind Paul being delivered and back among the Philippians to minister to them and that ministry resulting in Jesus Christ being glorified. Paul remaining in this life, in this body, for the time being, not being with his Lord, in other words. And then he says in verse 25, he doesn't change to death again, but he continues talking about living. And he says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. And so, to live, a synonym for that is to remain and to continue with you all for a particular purpose, for your progress and for your joy in the faith. And so, from Philippians chapter 1, 20 through 26. 20 through 25, we see the contrast throughout. I think it's, it's unmistakable. This contrast between these two realities. These two realities of each of us this, this afternoon, right? And there's, there's representations of this. Babies from, uh, from Papa being on maybe the other end, on the other end of the spectrum. And this contrast throughout verses 20 through 25. And I think for Paul, to live as Christ means to live in this life for a particular purpose. To live for the progress, the advancement, and joy in the faith of other believers. To define dying is, is rather easy. Uh, to die is gain, Paul says. It's to not continue physically in this life. It's not to remain in the flesh, but it's to depart and to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see that throughout the passage? The contrast, right? And so what we see throughout these verses and, and really honestly from the Apostle Paul is, uh, is his struggle between these two possibilities, don't we? His struggle. He's, I mean, he, it seems like un, you know, with no, no shame, no timidity, He just says, this is what would be better. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But notice what Paul says. Although this is what he preferred, what did he say was necessary? Yeah, he said to stay, to remain in the flesh, right? to not depart, to not be with Christ for the time being, to remain, to continue in the flesh for their progress And joy in the faith. So Paul was convinced of this, convinced, persuaded that it was more necessary for their sakes, more necessary for him to remain in the flesh and to continue for their progress in joy in the faith. This is the way that Christ was glorified in Paul's life, and this is the way that Jesus Christ will be glorified in your life. This afternoon will be glorified in your body and in my body this afternoon in our living and in our dying. And isn't it true that only when our lives are lived this way, Christ exalted, Christ magnified the progress and joy in the faith for others, can we say that death is gain. A life death will only be a gain for you if you live a life like this. In other words, Progress, advancement, and joy in the faith of other believers. So I wondered if, if I mean, have you considered Philippians: 121 in its immediate context, to live as Christ, to live in this life, to live for the progress, to live for the advancement. And joy in the faith of other believers. <clears throat> and for Paul, it's, it's clear he had the Philippians in mind, right? To live for their progress and their joy in the faith. But for us this afternoon, and this is really what concerns me most, this means our progress in joy in the faith in the context of, of this church. So look around. You don't really have to do it. But this is what we're thinking about together this afternoon, progress, joy in the faith for each other here. Not a nebulous group of people in the internet world, but for for each one of us here this afternoon. And what burdens me the most is I've been trying to think through this, and I, I basically shared this message a couple weeks ago to the brethren that speak Spanish here. What, what concerns me the most, at least trying to, to think about this, is how can we, as a local church with brothers and sisters that speak at least two different languages, live for the progress and joy in the faith of each other and strive side by side for the faith of the gospel together, right? So that practically there aren't two separate churches that use the same building. That's what I'm trying to figure out together. And I think a passage like this can help us think through that together. At least give us biblical categories. And so for us this afternoon, this progress and joy in the faith means the progress and joy in the faith of those who speak Spanish this afternoon. If you don't speak Spanish, Think about Spanish speakers. If you don't speak English, think about English speakers. This, this includes those who are younger, those who are older, those who have been Christians for a short time, months, maybe a year, those who have been Christians for 20 years. The progress and joy in the faith for each other in the context of this church, those who are single, those who have families and those or sorry, those who are singles. Uh, and don't have families and those who are married those who have families those who are married they don't have children right each other in other words in the context of this local church and so it's to live this life in the context of this local church for the progress and joy and the faith of each other okay for us to to bring it home to us And, and before we think about because this is what I going to do. I want to think about the challenges of living a life like this and then practical ways to live together this way. What might be some of the challenges in the life of this church, primarily thinking about two, these two major languages that exist in this church? Challenges to living for the progress and joy in the faith of one another, Pr- challenges to striving side by side together for the faith of the gospel. But what might be some practical ways to do this together? Okay, but before we we get to the the three that I have that are challenges and the three that I have that are practical opportunities, I want to think a little bit together about this progress and this joy in the faith that Paul mentions in verse 25 specifically. And so we see the two words here, at least these two phrases, progress and then joy in the faith. And this word progress is is a word that Paul has used earlier in the letter, not only in verse 25, but we see it in verse 12. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. That's our word, progress the gospel. And so what we see in the book of Philippians is we see progress both outside of the church and progress inside the church. And so he says here, in light of his imprisonment, People are preaching, two different motives, but Paul is delighting himself in the fact that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed. And he says, in other words, the gospel is progressing. That's outside of, I'll say outside the church. But in verse 25, he's talking about something that's happening in-house, isn't he? For their progress and joy in the faith, okay? So sanctification, this progress, this advancement, in the Christian life, this advancement of the gospel. It literally, it's a word that has the idea of movement, doesn't it? Advance, right? I mean, it's the opposite of stagnant. It's the opposite of retreat. It's the opposite of going back. This idea of progress, 112 and 125. It's the opposite of decreasing. It's the opposite of diminishing. That's what Paul's concerned about. And we see joy, joy in the faith. This, this form of the word joy is used about five times, but the verbal form, like six times in the letter. So roughly 11 times this idea of joy is present throughout the letter to the Philippians. And what we see, if you just pay attention to how Paul uses this joy and talks about it, it's a, it's a happiness, it's, it's a gladness that is not based upon our circumstances. one, this joy, this Christian happiness, it's not directly tied to circumstances. And so Paul can say, for example, in 118, he says this, hearing about the two groups, the two motives, preaching Christ, and he says, What then, 118? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, something outside of Paul. It didn't reside within him, right? So one, this joy is is not based upon our circumstances. In prison, Paul, he's rejoicing, delighting in something outside of him. And we could even say that this happiness, this gladness is rooted in a person. And so he says later on in chapter three, verse one, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, right? Not rejoice in your circumstances. There's a rejoicing, a happiness, a gladness, Paul commands them in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me and it's a safeguard for you. So progress, advancement, joy, gladness, happiness. And he says in verse 25, in the faith. There are progress and joy in the faith. And the way I understand this, this faith here, Sometimes if uh, you search the word out, is it the faith once for all delivered to the saints? What is it referring to? Well, Paul uses the same word right down in in, in verse 27. So he mentions faith in 25 and we see him use it again just two verses later when he says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so, this, this faith, this, this uh, progress in joy, is a progress in joy regarding, related to the gospel. This advancement, this joy, Paul talks about in the faith. This advancement, joy regarding the gospel. Them as lights in the, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Their intentional unity, working together for the progress of the gospel in Philippi. But as we see, as they're supporting the Apostle Paul, the progress of the gospel throughout the known world. So brothers, this is, this is the living that glorifies god in this life this is the living that that is christ in this life It's concerning ourselves living in such a way that it leads to the progress and joy in the faith of others in the context of this local church so the guy who wants to say to live is christ and to die is gain for me and you say you're not even a part of a church how is that even true It's at least in this moment, it's not. Don't quote Philippians 121, right? And we're not talking about someone in North Korea or something like that. Someone in here, someone here in San Antonio. And so returning to where we began, where where I started out uh, this afternoon, if you and I will follow Paul's example, how he spoke in Philippians 120, confidently, With all boldness, the New American Standard says, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. To follow Paul's example, live lives and die deaths that magnify Jesus Christ, we need certainty about two things. What our lives are and secondly, what our death is. And I think at least in my present understanding, to live as Christ is to live this life, in this life for the progress, advancement, and joy in the faith of other believers. To die is to depart and be with Christ. But I want to think together, together about this reality of living, living a life like this, living a life that is Christ, living a life that, that leads to the progress and joy in the faith of one another in this particular local church. So let me ask you this afternoon as we continue, is Christ your life this afternoon? Is Christ your life this afternoon? Are you currently living a life that magnifies Jesus Christ to answer that question to be able to answer it honestly biblically I think you should you should ask another question How am I living in the context of this local church for the progress and joy in the faith of other believers How am I living and to think about that, I want to think about obstacles, difficulties, and then some practical ways. So living a life like this, where we are striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's how Paul talks in 127. This striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. He says there in, in verse 27, I'm going to read that again, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit. It just breathes unity, right? One spirit standing firm. There's a, there's a not being moved in one spirit with one mind. With one soul is the word. One soul, one mind. Striving, that's work, that's effort. Sweat, pain, side by side, together for the faith of the gospel. What might be some obstacles to this, some difficulties thinking about this local church, standing firm in one spirit together, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel together? I have three potential obstacles to think about together. The first is not having close relationships with others in the life of the church. Really basic, isn't it? Right? Not Having close relationships with others in the life of the church will not lead to you and me striving side by side for something, right? You won't strive side by side, work together, work side by side for a common goal. If you want to put it in those words. And and related to, to this first one, An obstacle to one's spirit, an obstacle to striving side by side is to be someone who is constantly considering your own interests more than the interests of others in this church. And what's another another word for that? What do we call someone who's always only thinking about themselves? That's a selfish person, right? To be selfish. That's exactly right. And this selfishness is really interesting because it, it manifests, it can manifest itself, show itself in different ways. And so maybe the person who is, con, who is just all the time emphasizing his preferences. We always did it like this when I grew up. My mom told me, that, you know, whatever it is, emphasizing preferences. That person will not strive side by side with the majority of people unless something changes. If you can find someone like him with the same preferences, they might strive side by side. But someone who is continually emphasizing preference will not be a person that will strive side by side for the sake of the gospel. The person who is focused on what can I get out of church what can I get out of the sermon? Now, I'm not saying we, would, we don't want to come with some anticipation, right? I mean, Jesus prayed this way, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So I, I have some anticipation. I mean, I want something to be changed in my life. But it's the person who's, who's not, not that sort of anticipation, but it's what, what will you give me? Right? It's the person who's, who comes on Sundays and asks, who's going to talk to me first? Who's going to take the initiative? Who's going to invite me to their house after the meeting for lunch? The person who's insisting and emphasizing preference. People like that. They don't strive side by. There's not a one-mindedness. Now, God can change that person, but but selfish people don't are not striving side by side people for the faith of the gospel so that's that's what selfishness could look like in that per, that way the person maybe who's more vocal who who wants to emphasize preferences etc but there's another selfish person that doesn't look like that and the proverbs talk about this person like this whoever isolates himself what does he seek He seeks his own desires, doesn't he? Whoever isolates himself, Proverbs 18.1, seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. One commentary, that was just really good. I can't improve on what it said. Solomon's describing the renegade, the lone ranger, the antisocial individualist who will not listen to others. He finds his identity in his nonconformity and obstinately sets himself apart independently from the body of those to whom he should belong and who would offer wise counsel. Such a person seeks his own desire. In simple terms, he's selfish. All his thoughts lead to himself. He measures everything by his thoughts, his wishes, his comfort, his perspective, assuming that they are supreme. So selfishness can look like that, the isolator. I'm not saying always, but Proverbs 18.1 says, the one who isolates himself seeks his own desire. That does not lend to striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and the life of the church, does it? It doesn't. And that could be a real obstacle in the life of the church. The life of being, being able to obey Paul this way even to, to live in such a way that we're living for the progress and joy of one another in the life of the church. Selfishness can be a real barrier to that. But maybe a third obstacle tiene que ver con el idioma. Si me entienden. Entonces estamos hablando de los obstáculos de la vida cristiana, ¿verdad? Si queremos luchar unánimes por la fe Del Evangelio, cuáles son los obstáculos en esta vida, right? And so the third, it has to do with language, right? And it's like, it's no secret in the life of the church that there are some Spanish speakers that don't speak English, and there are some English speakers here that don't speak Spanish, right? It's not a secret. Almost all of us know that there are two dominant languages in the life of this church, And that could really be an obstacle, couldn't it? Can't it? Hasn't it? Maybe I should say, has it not been an obstacle? Has it been an obstacle up to this point in time in the life of the church? And if it is, if it has been, if it could be, we don't want to just admire it. We want to think, okay, Lord, help us strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Help us to be unified in the life of this church if it could be an obstacle. Uh, You know what the tendency is. I feel the tendency, right? So we'll say if if you you primarily speak Spanish, the tendency is to only want to speak with Spanish speakers. Or if you primarily or only speak English, the tendency is to not want to learn a couple Spanish phrases, put yourself out there and ask, ¿Cómo estás? Right? It's like you just want to kind of stay together where it's a little more comfortable and it's a little more easy. I feel that. Move to another country too where almost nobody speaks your native language. It's a really good exercise in humility. Right? And so that, I think that's, that's a tendency to... To, to stay in our comfort zones. To not put ourselves out, to not, uh, to not seek to converse with a brother or sister that you've seen for eight years, you, you know they attend this church, but you've never really talked to them. Why? Because the language. It's like, oh, I just don't speak Spanish and they just don't speak English. Okay, so I mean, the, I think the honest question is what are we gonna do about it? Does it bother us? What will we do about it? These are questions I have in my mind. Apart from intentionality, I think it has everything to do with this little book of four chapters. Apart from intentionality, apart from the attitude, the mind of Jesus Christ, Paul defines it in chapter two. It's considering the interests of others more important than your own. Apart from intentionality like this, there's going to be significant barriers to striving side by side for the faith of the gospel in the church. So think about this. What kind of intentionality? So I asked the the brethren a couple weeks ago as we were thinking about intentionality together. Okay, if you want to begin to kind of cross some boundaries to get to know the other brethren in the life of this church... What might be some intentional, practical ways to do that? And I asked him, Is when we had the fellowship meal. And I said, let me ask you guys, where did you sit during the fellowship meal this afternoon? And it's like, it's kind of just step back, like we're busted, you know? Why? Well, they, they primarily sat together, right? I mean, if we think about just even our Sunday attendance, and I've noticed it this morning, actually. Um, think about this, on Sunday mornings, do you frequently or almost always sit in the same seat, right? Like we're just creatures of habit this way. I knew, I, I thought the Haney's would be there, but the, but the Jennings surprised us. We know where they normally sit. They're not there this morning, right? And I just saw other, other families and people moving around a little bit. It's a really intentional, practical way to what? To get to know others in the life of the church, Right? And it, it doesn't require much sacrifice, maybe a little embarrassment, maybe a little bit of what I, like, what I learned back in eighth grade. Like, how do you say that one word? Right? We're coming here anyways. Why not intentionally seek to get to know one another by sitting in different seats? And be gracious when you arrive at your seat and you find someone else sitting there, right? <laughs> Don't get offended. Don't get grumpy, right? Be happy. Why? Because they're trying to get to know, to know others in the life of the church. And these really practical ways. It's a really practical way. And so how can we begin to cross some of the barriers? I'll just choose a different seat each Sunday. It's an idea. And then speak to the person next to you, <laughs> Right? Speak to one another. Acknowledge one another. Speak to each other. You can think about maybe uh, having someone over to your house, right? And if, maybe if the language is, is, a, is a barrier, then maybe have another family or a single who speaks, the, who speaks both languages and who's willing to kind of be an in-between for the conversation for the evening. Or use Google Translate. I've not done it, uh, but... I've interacted with some people that have. I mean, this is how they have interacted with one another when the language is a real barrier. They're just practical ways, though. Right? To, to, to have more unity, to strive side by side, without these simple, intentional ways, uh, the, the difficulty of language is not going to be overcome in the life of the church. At least as I've tried to think about it. It'll continue being a difficulty, continue being an obstacle, and, uh, and we won't be able to together strive side by side, bear one another's burden. I mean, all the one another's come into play here, don't they? In the life of this local church. So potentially three obstacles, three difficulties, but what about three practical ways to strive side by side? For the faith of the gospel. The first, sometimes it's a sensitive subject, but giving, right? I mean, I don't think we can be faithful to the book of Philippians without at least mentioning something of giving financially. This is what Paul is writing to thank the Philippians for. At the end of the letter, chapter 4, verses 14 through 18, he says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. You Philippians yourselves know that. In the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you alone. Even Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering. A sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul says this is, this is the kind of participation he was talking about in 1.5. This is the koinonia that he's talking about in Philippians 1.5 when he says, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. The, the letter begins this way and the letter ends this way. The same theme, the same idea, and woven throughout. I think the way that this sort of participation continues, it has to do with the mind of Jesus Christ in the context of a church like this, considering the interests of others and being chiefly concerned with the interests of Christ. We know he has interests from chapter two. And so this, a practical way to strive side by side is in a real world with real expenses, giving in a unified way. Lots of needs in the world. I mean, we're hearing about hundreds of orphans. It's incredible, the needs that exist. And this is a real world where you have to buy things, right? There are real needs throughout Lebanon. There are real needs around the world. And so to be able to give in a unified way is a practical way to strive side by side for the gospel. But consider this this opportunity in striving side by side for the gospel, we can do that in our praying together, can't we? We can strive side by side together in prayer for the faith of the gospel. I mean, how much gospel participation has taken place by the faithful prayers of this local church? How many open doors for the gospel have been provided because the church has prayed? How many people have been brought from death to life because the church is praying? Rescued from the domain of darkness, transferred to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ because the church is praying? Maybe to put it another way, it's a little more blank, is the prayer meeting on Wednesday a priority in your life? To think about that. This, this opportunity, at least once a week, to be together together, to strive side by side together in prayer for the advance of the gospel, the progress of the gospel. Finally, to consider maybe a third way, and there's others The thing, so I'm not intentionally leaving uh, other practical ways out, but the fourth Saturday of each month, there's a food distribution here in this building, and there are both English speakers and Spanish speakers that come some of you you've seen the emails just like I have usually kind of tacked on towards the end and if you speak if you, if you speak spanish please come cuz we're limited in that way the fourth saturday of each month here in this building there is a time when this is get this people are coming to us and so to have an opportunity together to seek to share the gospel to give food, to get to meet others and to, to learn of their needs. The fourth Saturday of each month. I don't remember what time. What time? O'clock. Nine, o'clock. Nine o'clock. Okay. The fourth Saturday of each month, 9 a.m. Another opportunity, and there are, there are handfuls. Friday nights, there's evangelism downtown. English speakers, Spanish speakers. So just some practical ways. Saturdays, uh, there, are, there are some brethren who go to Haven for Hope. It's another practical opportunity. It was just mentioned in the announcements this morning. And so not only for someone to give a message, but to have time to talk with those that are, that are there. Those that are staying to listen. Those that are living there for the time being. Some practical ways together to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so we're talking this afternoon about Christ being magnified in our bodies. Paul's words in verse 20, whether by life or by death, we've seen this sobering reality that there are many who live their lives and die their deaths, not glorifying Jesus Christ, like the obituary that I read as we began this afternoon. And some of you are living that way right now, aren't you? Living your life, whether it's religious or or openly not, not glorifying Jesus Christ, not concerned about the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality is this. A life not lived that is glorifying Jesus Christ will not be a death that is gained for you. They won't be a death that's gained for you. And we've heard this morning, you see these invitations, amazing invitations throughout the Bible where we've sang songs this morning that today is a day that God is giving you to repent. We heard it in Acts 17, didn't we? You don't even have to pray and ask if it's God's will. It is God's will Today that you repent, and that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Why? God's commanding it, and how does He do it? He does it through through His people. Yeah. We just read Acts seventeen. He's doing it through the very words of uh, His words in Acts seventeen. God is now declaring that all men everywhere should repent, because He's fixed a day in which He'll judge the world in righteousness having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a life and a death that glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen from Paul's life, Philippians 1, that although equal in nature to the man that I read, Leslie Ray Charping, it is possible for a man or a woman to live a life that glorifies or magnifies Jesus Christ. And the way that this comes, it has is, is related to this living as Christ, this dying as gain, and that has everything to do with our relationships in others that are here in this room this afternoon. To live as Christ, living in such a way that we're living for the progress, in joy, in the faith of one another. Obstacles, yes. I mean, there's obstacles if everyone was a Spanish speaker. If everyone was just an English speaker, there's obstacles. But there's some unique obstacles. And the thing is, not every local church has these potential obstacles. Praise God for that. This unique opportunity in the history of the world, in this church in San Antonio, this unique potential obstacle? Spanish and English. How will we seek to, by God's grace, strive side by side for the faith of the gospel? Brethren, while there may be unique challenges and difficulties for us here, let us, by God's grace, motivated by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, seek to live intentional lives where we're striving, contending side by side for the faith of the gospel. Okay? Well, let's pray to finish. Lord, thank You this afternoon for Your Word. Thank You for the opportunity to to be in it together. Lord, it's like you want to just think more about the Lord Jesus Christ and move on to chapter 2. Think about this most supreme example of considering the interests of others more than His own. Lord, His coming exaltation at the bowing of every knee to Your glory. Father, help us, please, in this time, in this local church, Lord, with, with the unique obstacles that are, help us together to live in such a way that, that we're living for the, the progress and joy and the faith of one another. Lord, such that we can strive side by side for the faith of the Gospel. Lord, we ask You this through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.